Somebody in here. This is sweltering. Yeah, it's this, we're cutting it, away. It's here. genuinely a jungle in here. <laughs> like this is this is this is a non-workable condition. Come in here, honestly, God, <laughs> if you dare. This is the this is the hot. This is a sauna. Yeah, it's so hot. I don't know how I wasn't warned by the morning show. How they stayed awake for the entire time. This reminds me of when teams. Turn up the heat in the other team's locker room to yeah, try like, to throw them off. Turn up the hot water. Like I genuinely thought this was a prank when I walked <laughs> over to the thermostat. I went, "Oh yeah, these guys, ha 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 ha, ha 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 ha, funny, funny stuff." Anyway, fine, I'll do my job. Okay, okay so I'm gonna do basically a quick opening monologue, and then talk to Justin Bourne. Do NHL All Star Weekend winners and losers. Plus, gotta ask him what what indicator he needs from the Toronto Maple Leafs over the next month. Cause we're just under a month, just under a month before the NHL trade deadline. What kind of indicators he's going to need to see the Leafs look like they're going to be a legitimate buyer, especially given this market, right? Where it's, it's, if you're going to be a buyer, you're going to have to be aggressive. So that's coming up in a couple of minutes, but I just wanted to have a few moments to myself and, you know, I think, Armin, you were around some of the All-Star stuff. Simon, I don't think you were even in the city. When did you get I back? Was, I was. I got back uh, late last week, so I was... Oh, you were back late, yeah. late last week. Okay, never mind. Yeah, but still, you're a homebody. You didn't go out. There's no way that you went to oh, All-Star Oh, no, sorry. Stuff. It wasn't yeah. out and about. No, no, yeah, no. Yeah, I was going to say... Absolutely not. Yeah, you... Yeah, no. I, if, if I saw... If I would have bumped into you at an All-Star thing, I would have gone, you obviously have some sort of friend who is pseudo-famous yeah. that forced you to come out to Someone this promised thing. free drinks or had yeah, a couple yeah. tickets. That's or, the only yeah, yeah. way. There's no, there would have been zero inertia Correct. from you to, to get this thing done. Correct. Anyways, Armin, I know. What you, did you, you covered the All-Star game? Yeah, I was there for Saturday. You were uh, the, just Saturday, though? Just Saturday. Yeah, okay. So, I didn't get any media passes to the events, nor did I look into getting tickets for the events, which I got I to gotta admit, hand up. I kind of regretted it when I was... Cruising around on Thursday and well, actually no Friday. Thursday I was downtown and I was I was taking some stuff in. I was sort of just seeing what it was going to look like around the city, and it felt a little muted to me. I'm not going to lie. And I thought, why doesn't it feel like the All Stars in town? Then Friday it felt much different. It felt a lot different on Friday night, especially if you were downtown, especially like right downtown. I would say that one of the only issues with Toronto in terms of as a host event city is that it is so big that unless you're right by the arena and knew where to look, you wouldn't have felt as though All-Star was in town. Like I went to the fanfare on Friday, which was incredible, by the way. I was promoting it on the show. Okay, I got to tell you guys, <laughs> secret hand up. I was promoting it on the show the weeks before, saying go down, you win tickets, you can do all these things. Thank you to all the people who said hi to me when I was down there. That was very nice. Um, I had no idea it was going to be that good. I had no idea. If, if you had kids and you missed out on the fanfare, woof. You, like, don't ever let them see pictures of it. <laughs> don't ever let them see the video that's like me when I found out that I could have gone to Justin Bieber's concert on Thursday and just didn't realize it. 
And I saw all the IG stories, and I went, wait, what? Huh? That's a tough blow. Oh, dude, I, I'll never live that down. I honestly, missing Bieber on Thursday night is going to go down as one of my all-time great regrets. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even want to talk about it. It's actually... Because they're so I, few and far between, he doesn't yeah. do them. Well, no, and not only that, I, I genuinely love the Beeps. And I have, okay, you know what? Uh, no, I'm not going to do this just yet, but... <laughs> I got. I actually do have Bieber thoughts that I that I have from this weekend, um, but I got to tell you what a what a massive win for the city. Like NBA All Star, we had the dunk contest. That was our big win. Mm-hmm. But if you remember, it was so cold, so dark that I I just didn't feel it. Didn't feel to me as though it was a real city marker. But everything that I saw for NHL All-Star Weekend seemed to be executed pretty perfectly. Down to even those jerseys that we thought were super lame when we first saw them. Are you kidding? Because I'm old and I see the old, you know, Campbell jerseys, right? The the orange. And I say, those are the nicest ones. But that's because I'm old. And I like nostalgia because I'm old. I like old things better than new things. And when I was at the fanfare and I was walking by the shops and seeing all the kids who wore the jerseys. I will say that I did find it kind of cringy to see there's a certain age of dude that you're, you're, you're transitioning over to old with me. And when I saw them trying to rock the jerseys, I'm like, guys, you got to get a Campbell. <laughs> got to get a Campbell division, but that's fine. Everything was perfect. I can't really pick a flaw. Actually, sorry, there was one thing that happened. Thursday night when I was downtown, the power was out. I went, what the hell? And it was weird because the, I was on a, even a stretch of Young Street where it was just completely pitch black. And I went, this is crazy. As if this happened when NHL All-Star is here. And the subway was wonky and I was in a packed Uber where it was just, or uh, uh, sorry, not a packed Uber, but an um, Uber that was moving just slowly spot to spot. I'm going, oh, this sucks. I'm going, welcome to Toronto. And apparently it was a raccoon that yeah, did it, yeah. that got into a transformer. I said, that's the most perfect Toronto thing. Yeah. Welcome to Toronto. A raccoon got into a transformer and popped <laughs> and popped power for thousands of people, thousands of businesses, bars on All-Star Weekend, and shut down the subway the, the, to the artery of the city, to the, to the heart, right on All-Star Weekend. But everything else, man, the events, perfect. Host city in terms of being able to throw bar events, perfect. Stuff for the kids, that NHL fanfare, incredible. I'm sure I, I saw there were things around the city too, just different skates. Basically, it's, uh, some of those I didn't get out to. I know the HDA had something that was near, I think that was at Bellwoods. From what I was trying to gather, like looking at some of the visuals, it looked like it was at Bellwoods. There was stuff that was happening at City Hall. It was all, it, They did a great job of spreading out a bunch of different activities across the city felt like the weather cooperated with everyone where we got not a weird, ugly, mushy. We didn't have a, it wasn't a, you know, where they go, I want my Christmas to have snow. It was like, I don't want it to be unseasonably warm here where people were walking outside and the arenas get messed with. Or It was perfect. It was just bang on weather. Sun came out for the first time in like months. <laughs> Sun was out. The people were out. Downtown felt a little busy. The Friday night skills contest I thought was a smash hit. 
I'm going to get into, again, more that in greater detail in the winners and losers with Bourne in a second. The All-Star game, it's for kids. It's pretty clear, but that worked. It just, it felt, it felt more like they finally figured out, hey, the Friday is for everybody. The kids can watch this. They can stay out. I'll be a little late. And then the Saturday is just purely for the kids. We're doing this at three o'clock. You're probably, I, I got to admit, I barely even watched any of the All-Star game. I tuned in for like a couple minutes and I went, yeah, I, I get it. But the, the sweaters look nice. The arena was packed. The fans gave Connor McDavid a great reception on Friday. There felt like there was a little bit of a buzz in the arena. I am curious how many people actually came in for the All-Star game because it, it did feel very Toronto. It, it felt very Toronto, very GTA. But maybe, maybe it was an event where a lot of people came in for. Uh, yeah, there were, there were some great celebrities in town. There was a hilarious stuff with Buble on the, at, the, at the draft, which was, by the way, so cringy. The draft was the, probably the worst part of the entire weekend. And yeah, poor, poor DA trying to get something, trying to get blood from a stone from those guys, just who would not cooperate. Still, my one critique of All-Star Weekend is that the players, for whatever reason, just refuse to say, yeah, we're going to have fun with something. Just do that, please, for the love of God. But man, oh man, I'm just, I'm really impressed with the city. I think that it did extremely well. I'm proud of the fans that went to this thing and just dominated it. All the event organizers that put together this weekend. I know this kind of sounds like a weird way to open a show. I'll take the breakdown and I'll start talking about the actual things. But man, uh, that was a win. That was a real, real big win. Toronto is supposed to be a place where you can come and there's going to be events and they nailed it. And I went, don't ever let us not have this thing or something like this for another 25 years. Anyways, let's take a quick break. Let's do winners and losers where I'll, yeah, gush about Justin Bieber some more with Justin Bourne. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. So like I mentioned off the top, I thought this weekend was a real win for the city of Toronto. Awesome all-star weekend. And it was especially good because I got to see Justin Bourne's handsome face when I went down to NHL Fanfare. I saw him do, do work. Got to catch up with his son. Got to see his lovely wife. What's up? What's up, buddy? What's up, Al? You flew out to of there. I know my son was the most excited person to be there, I think. Yeah. He was happy. But, okay, this sounds so stupid. This is gonna hit. Are you ready for the dumbest thing ever? Let's have it. Sometimes I forget that the All-Star Games for kids. And then I went to the fanfare, <laughs> and I walked around, and I went, oh, right. This is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is for your son. He's the one who's going to want to fly around and bomb around and do the events and uh, see this game and see all the stars and see the mascots that are coming through there and having the, the mascot game. It's, it's for yeah. them. But, it's, but I will say this. Can I just say one other thing? Yes, yes, yes. It's a little bit for us. <laughs> I think the context has to be you know that it's not like a gladiatorial, gladiatorial we're going to get answers sure. about who the best really are type of contest. It's like, let's watch all the great guys at mm-hmm. once. So, you know, that's all it is. Yeah, I agree with that. I would just say that you know how the the best thing going right now is I always screw this up, whether it's Pixar or Dreamscape or whatever they're called. I, uh, what is it Dreamworks, called? Yeah, Dreamworks. Dream, Dreamworks. Anyway, I, I can never get them separated from one another, but both of them are, do a that's great their job. Fault. And I, but that's yeah. what I mean. And I love and I love them all. Like there's genuinely 
you could actually, I, I'm not trying to play dumb here with the names. I've seen so many. I almost just cried during Elemental at Christmas where I watched it with my family. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I'm not crying about the store that they're trying to run, right? I, the flames, I, I, I get it. I love those things. Yeah. But you know why those are good? It's because if you're a little kid, you can watch them and you can enjoy them. And if you're an adult, you can watch them and enjoy yeah. it. And that's where I think the NHL All-Star all right, Weekend all has right, to go. All right. Love that. I yeah. think that's a, a really great comparable. Can you have some nuggets in there for the grown-ups while Correct. you're serving up the, the poop jokes? And that's what I think end up happening this weekend for me, and that's why I want to get into some all-star game winners and losers. And so I, yeah. I actually asked you to do homework for this show. Uh, Did you? Well, I've said, could you please get some winners and losers? But if, if you didn't, that's okay. I, I have plenty to share. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have some. Yeah, yes. of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, do you want to start with a winner or a loser from All-Star Weekend? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go first and say uh, the obvious one off mm-hmm. the top is the city of Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, we had an absurd run of weather here that felt yes. like I hope that people left Toronto and were like, oh, that's what it's like in February? Because it absolutely is not. But it did give people a chance to actually get outside and walk to and from locations and not... it, It just... It really helped the city out that we had a decent weather weekend. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that the, the product was pretty good. The fans were great. Even booing Kucherov. Mm-hmm. Like, they actually showed some engagement. So, uh, yeah, points for the city of Toronto. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, uh, it was my opening monologue, essentially, is trying to gush about the city and how proud I was. But so much of it really was, this is such a Canadian thing, is it was really connected to the weather and what you could wear outside. And people could yeah. wear their Like, nice... the NBA All-Star Game, didn't they yeah. get minus 30? Yeah, it was, in- it was genuinely insane. I went to... To a, a nightclub for an NBA All-Star event, which was still one of the funniest nights of my entire life. And thank God I didn't have to wait in line because just going from the cab to the inside of the bar, just that, I, whatever, one minute, I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm going to die. And, and I was, yeah. and, and I was. We lost free agents that weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, oh, free agents, everyone. It was a, it was a national disgrace. It really was. <laughs> it was a national disgrace. So I'm totally with you. Uh, okay, yeah. since you mentioned uh, the, the the Bruins, uh, or actually, sorry, you didn't. You mentioned they brewed Kucherov. Um, yeah. I, I'll just go with the booing in general, or the back and forth in general for this weekend. I thought it was a big win for. Pasternak and the Bruins pseudo rivalry with the Leafs. The Leafs team ends up winning the all-star game and who cares, right? Other than the fact that you say, hey, the hometown team won that stacked all the guys together. Nice for them. Um, Hey, if you guys want to try to fight over every single dollar and cent on your contracts, it would be nice to see you try at the event where you can get a little bit extra money in your pockets. But David Pasternak hitting them with the quote, good for them. They needed some wins end quote. Yeah. There's not a, I don't really believe in rivalries when they're that one-sided, but this is original six. They're clearly the big brother to the Leafs, and I love that Pasternak showed his hand a little bit of, we do still think about you guys a little bit. We do yeah. still want to mock you guys a little bit. And I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that quote. Well, how about uh, the coach of Boston, uh, mm-hmm. Jim Montgomery, says yes. about Willie. Yes. He goes, yeah, like, uh, yeah, even Willie was talking about back-checking and then after a pause, didn't expect that. Yeah. You know, like, that's, they think, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, you know, getting a shot from an ex or something. Like, they still think about the Leafs, for sure. Yeah, and split up Matthews and Marner in an effort to win. Uh, 
that in itself is like an extra little barb at the leaf. That's what I'm saying. Is they there were it was basically those three things that really worked. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. It was a it was a perfect little subplot to the weekend. Anyways, uh, your turn. Well, that played out well. Um, I thought you know Matt Barzal can take a win here. I uh, I talked to some people with the league who basically said that Barzal was like the thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth guy. But like called and like hectored his way in. Basically, it was like mm. if basically got himself up the list. He wanted to be in the skills contest, um, you know. So he found a way. I forget who dropped out. Whatever he ends up getting in. Um, he plays. You know, he's awesome. Shows all his skills in, in the All Star game. Ends up being on the winning team. But also in the goalie skills thing, he picks Shesterkin. You know, as the Islanders guy, he picks the Rangers goalie and he lit him up pretty good. I thought that was like a nice little subplot for Ryan. Uh, rivalry land too. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'll say this. Um, I have this as a winner slash loser, and that is all of NHL Skills Friday. It was a winner because it really felt like the the moment of the weekend. I'm actually curious to hear about you know you being there with your mm-hmm. kid and how engaged he was in a lot of the events. But it felt as though the actual hey, there's a million dollars on the line. So show us what you can do across all of these events. Was a, was a real hit. Like, I was genuinely engaged, and I was watching it and seeing, you know, who was going to end up where. Here's why it's a loser, though. McDavid showed us exactly who we've all been saying he is. Uh, it was very much Larry Bird at the three-point contest saying who's going to come in second. And then he wins four of the six events. And the only reason I say it's a loser is not because in that moment it was a great win. It was a great showcase of McDavid. Great win for hockey just to say, hey, this is our guy. He won this event. But I did go... But what do you do next year? Because this will happen again. Like if if this is for another million dollars, what's to, who's to say Connor McDavid doesn't win this every single time? He should. You know, yeah. the ESPN in particular is a star making machine. Like if you live in the U.S. and you follow U.S. sports enough, um, you you're aware of this. But like they don't sell games, teams, cities. They sell stars. And you know, for the NHL to have McDavid in the big moment, be LeBron and step up and you know and perform. And I think he's getting better on the mic. Like I thought that was mm-hmm. great. I see your point. Like that doesn't feel like there's a direct competitor there for him. But I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing for the league. Um, having been there, I will say that the event, the whole evening, it was great. It just took a little while to warm up. Yeah. Like the the first, they really let the lag time between events and setting up and whatever, like it just needed to be tighter to keep a seven-year-old engaged. Like between an event, it, you know what it reminds me of in golf? If you, there are guys who take a lot, like a long time to hit the ball, and the guys who do it quickly. But when the other guy is hitting his shot, that's when you do all your prep. That's when you get your yardage, your club, your practice swing. So it's your turn, you're up. That was not the case in this event where it felt like okay, one guy went, then the next guy came off the bench, skated to the mark, you know, mm-hmm. talked to the people. Like it just needs to be a tighter affair. But it really got going once it got to all right. We're into hardest shot, accuracy shooting, and this the shootout was the best part. What an mm-hmm. unbelievable event! That that was and the obstacle course came through as a pretty cool closer too yeah I, I i thought it looked spectacular but i will say that even as someone who was watching it in the bars on tv 
I went, how late is this now? It kept going from... Well, that was an issue for sure. Well, well, just in terms of drawing it out, how long do you want it to be sort of thing on the Friday night? Because this is what I'm saying about the, the Pixar part of this, the, the Pixar quotient. If you're going to keep the kids engaged at the event, you're right. You, you have to have things happening a little bit more in the arena. And I don't know well, what they were doing. you can't close with the mascots. We had to go home. Like, yeah. we couldn't stay for the mascots at 1030. Yeah, that's, yeah, mascots. You know? Mascots at 1030. I feel like mascots should be in between. First. Yeah, first and in between the, the, the <laughs> events, right? Like, yes. that's, that's where that's got to land. So maybe a little bit of tightening up there, you're right. But overall, I just thought, I, I was way more interested in skills this year than just about every other year. Like, truly, I, I really did care a little bit more. I, enj- I thought that McDavid stepping up and going four for four on the targets with a million dollars on the line, I went, oh, that actually, that felt like a moment, right? That felt like when well, we were we'll growing up. Well, remember that. That's, yeah, that's for what sure I mean. that's a moment. Yeah, that's what I mean. You know, the, the one thing I will say is in, t- in terms of, like, winners and losers, the Kucherov thing where he, you know, mm-hmm. he just fails outright. Yeah. It's one of those things where it doesn't go well early, so you, you just mail it in because you're not going to win. Mm. And... It was he was the only guy to really do that, but I think he has the curse of even when he's trying, it doesn't look like he's trying. So it, it kind of, it just came off flippant. So I'll give him the the nod for a loser, but he at least played into it well and played the villain and engaged the crowd a little bit. Okay, I actually have a theory on this. I think he did that because Russia was not a part of the Four Nations Cup, and the uh, there was murkiness around Russia's participation in. Uh, the Olympics moving forward. And that news came down right before Skills Friday. And I, I just wonder if he if he tanked it as like a yeah. silent protest because he is the guy that we, I don't know, because he, he plays NHL games like that sometimes. Exactly. He's, he's the weirdest player because when you see him when he's on, you go, oh, actually, that's the only, like it's him, McKinnon, and uh, McDavid at the very yeah, He's first in the NHL in points. Yeah, right? yeah, ex- exactly. He's just, he's an incredible talent. I even, I think it was McKinnon McKinnon says he's his favorite player. Like, he's like, I love him. If you ask any of the top guys, that's yeah. our favorite guy. And you can see McKinnon why. McKinnon could not have him on his team, though. He'd go mental with no, that sort of No, he would never. Language. Yeah, he would never yeah. be able to handle that. But I just, yeah. I wondered if that was potentially a thing for Kucherov. I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. It's a good connection to make, and I uh-huh. won't dismiss it outright. I don't yeah. think it's the case because it's rarely a good convincer to be like, Hey, we want to be in that thing. Now no, I'm going to make it's not it a convincer. easy to make me dispensable. Yeah, I don't think it's convincer. It's like, hey, we really care. Like, remember when there were rumors that Ovi was not going to even play in the NHL if they didn't let him play the Olympics? Well, yeah, he said he's going regardless. So yeah, that, or that, that, that was yeah. what it was, right. Um, yeah. I just think Kucherov has now become the face of Russians in hockey, and I wondered if he was kind of picking up that mantle, and that was his yeah. his moment to do that with the NHL. And I say, think hey, he just sucked, you, but, but yeah. I think it's it's a worthwhile I, note. Hey, I'm not going to rule it out. Here's what I here's my true feeling. I think it's both. <laughs> I think that <laughs> I think yeah. that he was probably pretty pissed about the Russia stuff, and yeah. then he also went, "Yeah, I don't really care about this, and I'm not really going to try." Um, okay, but yeah, like once you blow a wheel and you know Mick David's behind you going mock six, yeah. it's like, well, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's that was the funny part. I was watching McDavid skate and the superimposed yeah. all the other players, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. guys. Okay. See you later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it is, and I, I I know this is Toronto radio, and I know I have a Leaf show, but it yeah. is once again a little embarrassing. 
embarrassing, the Matthews and McDavid debates. He had yeah. a better season than him for sure, but it's like the, the one guy is just a different skill level. Yeah. Uh, no comment. <laughs> I've said it so many times. It's, it's the most Toronto thing ever because we're so hyper-focused on the Leafs and we watch so many Leaf games. And then to me anyways, the Oilers are actually the team I watch the second most, but whenever I watch the full game, I, that it's such a stupid, but obvious take where I walk away from it going, God, he's so incredible. And very yeah. few players in sports leave you with that feeling like McDavid does on a night Every in night time. out base. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but I will say to Matthew's credit, uh, mm-hmm. you know, accuracy shooting, unbelievable, yep. you know, came through in the, uh, in the game, you know, the one timer he hit in the, yeah. for the game winner was pretty Beautiful. unbelievable. So great showing all around uh, by the Leafs. Yeah. I had Morgan Riley at 20 bucks pays 1400 for, for, MVP that didn't come through, mm. but otherwise it was a pretty good weekend. I felt really stupid trying to find value on other guys than McDavid for the skills comp, and then realizing yeah. 10 seconds in, like, oh my god, I could have gotten <laughs> McDavid at plus money for a skills comp. Yeah, I was like, yeah. this was the worst decision, financial decision of my entire life. <laughs> I'll never recover yeah, from I this. Know, I, honestly, I, it, was, it was genuinely the first event, t- 10 seconds in, was, oh god, I've made a huge mistake. I <laughs> what just, have I done? I should have just picked the chalk. And I saw everyone did it that made gambling picks for it, that you go across the board, they were all trying to get cute with who they thought was going to win, because no one yeah. wants to pick the chalk, like, that's not fun, but right. yeah. You don't look like a genius doing no, that. No, 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 but guess what? You should have just done it. Uh, okay, but that brings me to a winner. Um, I'll just say that it's Canada-USA hockey rivalry, okay? The Olympics is coming back. Uh, best on best is coming back. The Four Nations Cup is going to happen, which I think is cool that we're going to get that right away. And yes, with all due respect to all the other nations and with all due respect to everyone, the biggest question in hockey is how close have the Americans gotten to Team Canada? And how great could this rivalry have been had we had it for, you know... Uh, the last decade that we've been missing right, it. Um, it's right. the biggest oversight by the NHL. Um, I think that we've had the, we've been offenders in general as sports people to overstate the impact, I think, at times of international events, right? But the, to this country, like if you're our age, the most meaningful sporting moment is unquestionably Vancouver, right? It's just, it's unquestionably the golden goal. And to have those moments come back between Canada and the USA. Hey, this is for the pride of Canada. Hey, this is the American cockiness bravado of we think we're better than you and we're going to steal your one thing is incredible drama. And I'm so unbelievably excited that we're going to have this back. Just going to pound the U.S. when I when we do bet for a happiness hedge because I can't no shot. I can't watch it. No it's, shot. <laughs> you're not going to do it. No the, shot. The terrifying thing, the first thing that all Canadians did, and I already, I think you know what I'm going to say, is just talk about goalies right away. Yep. It was just like the first thing was watching the skills, the shootout, and you know, out there on the ice is Thatcher Demko, Jake Ottinger, Connor Hellebuck, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and we're like, oh, Connor Ingram, I don't know, like. Crosby, McDavid, McKinnon down the gut. I mean, you're unbelievably loaded, but like someone's got to stop it. We got a year or two to figure it out. We need a hot goalie. I got to tell you, first of all, I like what I've seen from Martin Jones in the least. Oh, no. no. no I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, but I actually I am sneaky a believer in the Jordan Bennington in big games thing and thinking that he could get up for this. I just, I, I'm, oh. I'm just a, a bit of a believer. I'm a bit of a believer that we'll be fine. Uh, to me, I, I will say, and McKee's been on this for quite some time, but watching the way McKinnon plays and the way McDavid plays and Sid in terms of that's 
we still have that from that generation. I'm very worried about the next one because I've seen it at the juniors where it feels like Canada has lost the we actually play different edge. And and people are going to say that's an exaggeration or whatever, but I do worry about... Because Bedard's next... nasty, but he's like Jack Hughes. He's not like McKinnon. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I, the we care way more, we're going to out-dog you quotient that we're still going to have that for the next couple of generations, or for this generation. The next one, I don't know. But for this one now, having McDavid, McKinnon, and those guys at the top still carrying the torch, I'm I'm not as nervous about it as I once was. Let's just put it that way. No, like, I, I don't I don't think it's particularly a fair fight up front. But no, yeah, it's hockey and goaltending happens. Yeah, and you that's never know. the scariest part. Um, okay, yeah. here's uh, here's my favorite winner of the weekend. Okay, Justin Bieber. Oh, <laughs> winner! You give him a winner nod. Massive massive winner here's here's what i have to say about bieber from the weekend not only does he go out and crush on thursday night yeah i think it's thursday because i i missed it yes it was definitely thursday night goes out and crushes on thursday night he becomes the the artist of the weekend he's a little quiet at the draft and people are curious about what's going on here he shows up he's got the big red coat and he's in the dressing room and he's very friendly with the players but here was my feeling about justin bieber he has something that is so unique right now, which is he genuinely cares about the Toronto Maple Leafs and about hockey. Like, he cares deeply yeah, about like, it. I think he was a little nervous to I mean. be around all those guys in that environment. He, he wore the, the full gear going out there for warm-ups, and guys are taking pictures with him, and he was just thrilled to be there. And listen, Drake is a great ambassador for the city and for the Toronto Raptors. There's, then, that's, there's just no question about it. But the thing with Drake is that he also rides with Alabama football. You know, he rides yeah. with Duke basketball. Yeah. Like, whatever the big thing is, Drake's name is, he loves the, he has a Kevin Durant tattoo, for God's sakes. You know, a Steph Curry yeah. tattoo. He's kind of like, I'm there for everyone. Bieber was just to be, when you saw him walk into the dressing room, and he's just excited to see the Maple Leafs players. He says that this is a dream for him to be able to do this. You can see the child in Bieber. And I said, And I think in terms of trying to sell the game to younger people and try to have some sort of passion about it and love for the game and love for the sport, I think that they can look at Bieber and say, this guy isn't just here collecting a paycheck with all due respect to other people that have come through and do these celebrity appearances and all-star games. This guy is just here because all he loves is hockey. He loves the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's just, he was a kid and you could, you sort of see that passion come through. So big win for Bieber, big win for the sport. I've been... Saying Buddy that, Arnett and Buble might have been better. They were unbelievable. I, yeah, I got. I think Buble was amazing. I, yeah, Arnett, yeah. I, I, I felt as though it was like I feel bad for the funny guys when they're in a position where it's like be funny the entire time at humorless events. Let's just say I, I felt uh, for him. I, I thought he was great. I think his his energy and his uh, his love for it too is very real. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't uh, appreciate him anymore. I watched some of that like. You know, smartless podcast on the um, on Netflix where yeah. he actually, you know, the actual video version, and just like every chance he gets to talk about the Leafs, like he's genuinely so about it, about it. Um, it's it's fascinating to have people like that involved. And again, I think it's it's good for the sport. Uh, honest question, and this is going to probably be dumb. Mm-hmm. Those guys get paid. They get paid for that for sure. weekend for sure. That's a ton of their time to give. No, they definitely get paid. <laughs> A ton. Yeah, they should. Yeah, it's well, they, they don't. Position. Look at you. This is a classic rich guy position to be taking right now, by the way. It's Justin Bourne. He's like, uh, do they get paid? It's a lot of time. It's a lot of rich guy time. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah they're, no, Their they're time's get, valuable, dude. They no, could be somewhere yeah. else. No, they're, they're they definitely. They to be there. They're definitely getting paid. They're definitely getting paid. Yeah. And I, I just think with Bieber, he's he's the face of hockey fandom now. And he's he does it in a way 
that is very different from everybody else. And that's just with the, the pure joy, the pure enthusiasm, the wanting to be involved. And now, like, I go back and I think about Chris Pronger, who I had on, and hitting him in the, the Celebrity All-Star yeah. game, him taking the full warm-up. The excitement that he showed, I just, I went, you know what, Ben, you're, you're great for this, and that, that yeah. could have been super lame to take in the warm up thing, but it wasn't. No, he, like, that's what he I mean. Was great, he, he took his pics with everyone, and also I want to go on record as everyone is like, ha ha, how about that coat? I genuinely like that coat. It was a great. Like coat. I, I think I that's like a cool coat. Like it's, what's that? I didn't. I, the, you need the pants with the coat. I get it. I'm not yeah. cool. I'm old, I'm old, but yeah. I thought. I love the I, the pants looked hilarious to me. The coat like there's no setting to yeah. wear that jacket for me. Yeah, that's like no. only as the coach of an NHL All Star yeah. Game celebrity can you wear it. Yeah, but I like the jacket. It's yeah. cool. Justin, Be- yeah, if you're Justin Bieber, you can wear cool clothes. <laughs> if you're me, <laughs> yeah. if I showed up yeah. to the office, and I show up to work in yeah. that. Everyone's like, yeah, no, it's that's not a that's not a workable thing. By the way, not I just got to say also, uh, winner. Microdosing mushrooms because of an honest, innocent guy who makes his entire living off of, you know, crooning for old ladies and uh, hawking soda water uh, can take mushrooms in a public place. So can you. Buddy, I am downtown Toronto. I live three minutes from a place called Fun Guys that yeah. sells medicinal yeah. mushrooms. That, Someone, that is, you know, the, the horse has left the barn on the uh, yeah. little little doses of drugs <laughs> for people. I, I think he's kind of a tier above, too, where that even touches him. Like, do you agree? What was that? He's, like, uh, what people, do you mean? Well, I was having a conversation with someone about... Oh, that about, doesn't face his reputation Yeah, that's what all. I mean. No. I, I think he's above it. I, I don't think that that matters. I don't think that, you know, the soda water goes, uh, hey, you're not the face of us anymore, Michael. Uh, because <laughs> yes, he's the like, yes, I am. I, like, true. I, I got to say, it was definitely a hilarious and honest moment of mushrooms because mushrooms do bring out the honesty in you, but also so great that he went... He said it was a microdose. It's definitely not a microdose. That's that is the <laughs> experience with mushrooms at its best. Is when you're like, my friend just told me that it wasn't really going to do too much, but here I am now in it, and I need to tell you about that right now. <laughs> I need to get it ahead of this. Yeah, when yeah, you're I, like, what is that guy on? I'll just yeah, tell you exactly. I thought it was brilliant. It's it's going to be my most memorable moment from All Star Weekend. Um, do you have a winner or loser? You want me to go? Go ahead, pal. I think okay. I'm tapped out. Okay, great. Uh, I've got, I've got two more losers. And that's it. Uh, loser. The NHL trade deadline. Oh God, is that's a great loser? Yes, it, you're right. It is the NHL's biggest day, and I know it's changed, and Not I know anymore. TV is changing, and everything. You know, it's like you know, there's the the dynamics of modern sports are evolving, and sports television products. But the, N- the NFL has the draft, right? As it's, hey, everyone gets together and we have the draft. This is a big deal. The NBA, similar thing. And now they have just basically the entire offseason, right? Where there's all this curiosity about player transactions. It's now bled into the season. They've done a great job of, of doing this. Like we've got NBA trade deadline this week. And it does feel like, man, either some big names could be moved. Like we're talking about LeBron James stories. I don't think he will get traded, but still like that's in the conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. The NHL had trade deadline day. Like July 1st is never that enticing. It's usually a couple of names that end up. Now we all accept, especially in the hard cap era, that it's an overpay. It's difficult to do. We had NHL trade deadline day where you would want to fake sick and be home and spend all day watching sports and see what talent, where's Justin Bourne going to sit on the desk. This mattered the most. And now you have the biggest name by far 
off the board a month in advance, and then Monaghan also gets traded from from it's two or four Canadian markets involved in all of this stuff. And now you're looking at the quote-unquote trade boards and you've got to talk yourself back into Chris Tanev being the face of the NHL trade deadline as of yeah. today, a month out. It's it's a really tough thing for the NHL that business is getting done earlier and earlier and earlier and that this is the it way is. that we're going with the trade deadline. It is, it is, but it should be encouraging that I think a lot of the market forces that have dictated this sort of lack of movement and early movement are related to the just absurdly jammed salary cap, which, you know, likely won't happen again. Like, it's going to take a couple of years to get away from this to where every team has breathing room from the salary cap. If it goes up four and a half million for two straight years and all of a sudden everyone tax on nine mil, like... Teams got pretty good about not giving longer uh, longer deals. Everything just kind of got tighter. I think things are going to free up for teams. But, yeah, because of that, teams have had to say, oh, my God, no team is good in the league, right? Like there's like 10 okay to, to good teams or whatever you want to call the teams at the top. And all of them need to jockey to get the one or two good player available. So, yeah, you got to get them first. I, I don't think that's going to continue to be the case down the road. But right now, it does feel like this year's trade deadline has very little chance. Now, Kip doesn't think it's going to be bad. He thinks there's going to be guys we're not thinking of that are going to show up. Mm. The way that Brandon Hagel got traded with Term. Or yeah, Ken but he's the show. Yeah, but he's a showman. He's a showman. And you know that. He's like, hey. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Kipper's a showman. He's, he doesn't want to live in a world where the NHL trade deadline is headlined by, yeah, uh, the uh, depth defenseman, right? It's that's, well, that's not good. Right now it's shaping up that way, but yeah. he thinks a couple guys will, will show up that we're not thinking of. I hope so. I hope Kipper's right. I really, really hope Kipper's right. Um, okay, I'm not even going to do my last loser because we're running long on time here. I just want to ask you this. This will be the closer because we got to bring it around to Leafs. They're back tonight. They're facing yeah. your Islanders. Um, yeah. What's the thing? This is hard to. This is kind of hard to vocalize, and yet it's an easy thing to understand. But what is the thing that you want to see from the Leafs over the next month that will convince you they should be more aggressive come deadline, or that they actually have turned some kind of corner of as a team? Because right now mm-hmm. they feel very, very, very in the middle. Yeah, they feel very, very, very in the middle. I think that's right. I, I think they're probably the 11th best team in the NHL. That's, that's about know, right. like kind of where I, where I have them right now. Um, I want to see, I, you know, I, I was talking to someone about what they could add, what they need, whatever. <clears throat> Excuse me. A lot of the things they need to add, they have and aren't getting out of guys in terms of like Tyler Bertuzzi. Can we get this guy to show us now that he cut off his hair and donated it to cancer? Can we give a, a fresh start for Bertuzzi where he's a guy who is an offensive contributor? You know, can you get a little bit of depth scoring from guys? Like, I just, it's so boring to want. I just want to know that if this team plays well, there's something there that you're like, all right, if we add a couple pieces, we could compete. Because mm-hmm. right now, I don't think we've seen this team really have a run of time where you're like, that's a good, solid playoff team. I just want to see everyone playing well at the same time. And I don't know what it's going to take to make that happen, but I don't think we've had much of that this year. So I brought this up with Myrtle last week when we did Leafs at the break. And uh, them losing Yarncrock, sneaky, not not even sneaky big for anybody that really closely pays attention, but he's like fifth on the team in goals and I think sixth in points. He's been massive for them. He's been a guy that Keith has moved around. PK. Right? He might be the top-line guy in playoffs, that, man. He might play with Matthews. He, he moves him around all the time. Now is the time, with no yarn crock for a month ahead of the deadline, 
for you to really fi- figure out what you have in Robertson, what you have in Domi, what you have in Tyler Bertuzzi. Like those three yeah. guys especially get a ton of focus, even to a degree, I'll say a lesser degree because he's a definite future piece. But in terms of what he is for you now is same thing with Matthew Nyes. Like, figure out if you can cobble together a top six that involves those guys or if you're going to have to go out and get somebody or how that's going to work, how it's going to operate. Because you're right. Now is the time for those guys to kick in a different gear. I'd like to see Keith get a little creative and, say, use Domi back on the wing with good players. Yeah, I think that's the I last agree. thing we really... He hasn't had a chance there this year, has that's, he? That's what I mean. Is it, just, it doesn't make sense to me that they've said all year long we want to add a depth center and we don't... And he's Keefe has said it all year long with the minutes is he doesn't trust him in any defensive situation. He doesn't trust him in close games. And the Leafs are clearly a team that's going to be playing in a ton of close games. He, yeah, he obviously does doesn't him. like him as the third-line center. So see what he can do on the wing. Like, he was effective in Dallas playing with good players in the playoffs last year. I refuse to believe that Max Domi just simply cannot play in any situation with the Leafs. Like, there's got to be some way that's more creative for him to get some minutes. But to me, this is this is going to sound, again, painfully obvious, but anybody who follows the team is going to know this is true. The, th- the marker for me is simply going to be this. Can you build a lead and then protect that lead? Mm-hmm. Can you do those things in regulation time? Can you build a lead and protect the lead and not have it feel like a miracle when you get out of there alive? Can you start a hockey game on time? Can you score first and then not have it feel like a mad scramble or like you got an incredible night from Ilya Samsonov for you yeah. to win a game in regulation? Like, I just think you that You spend this... so much time. That's Sorry, it. I, just, I no, spend so much time looking at the forwards going, can they score? Can they? Are they going to get enough goals? And when they do, that's when you turn your attention to the defense yep. and you go, who's supposed to keep it out now? Yeah. Like, you know, you, for the forwards, you just roll over the Tavares and Matthews lines over and over. That seems to be what happens. But who goes over the boards that makes you feel comfortable on D? Even McCabe, who I love, makes boneheaded errors here yeah. and there. Riley's not a defensive specialist so my two favorite d that i just mentioned are not guys meant for that situation so you just i don't know who's supposed to go over the boards in those spots that's totally right i just did the reason why i didn't bring up the d and i don't think you did in terms of the hey show you something when it comes to the next month of the deadline is you can't i don't think there's anything that this group can do that would convince me that this should be the group going into the postseason or or moving forward that this is going to be your winning blue line like they're just they need two bodies yeah yeah they're just it's it's just a matter of can you be good enough with the other guys like in the other areas can you be a tighter hockey team can you get more from those forward groups so that you actually feel like you know what we are going to invest draft capital etc cetera, etc cetera, to try to go out and get somebody that helps balance this thing out a little bit so that you don't feel as though there's a case to be made that, you know, Simone Benoit is your fourth most important defenseman or that you have a conversation with your friends about how much you like him every single night, you know? It's, mm-hmm. It'd be a little bit better if that wasn't the case. Anyways, Borny. Yes. <laughs> uh, thank you for the time today. Uh, I'm glad you got to take in the Friday night with your kid. And, uh, yeah, thanks yeah. for doing this, pal. Uh, thanks for having me, man. It was a lot of fun. Good seeing you. And, yeah, uh, yeah we'll, uh, we'll chat again soon. Absolutely. See you, buddy. Justin Bourne of uh, Real Kipper and Bourne and, of course, uh, Leafs Regional Games. Yeah, my only other loser was going to be just the the actual draft itself, the NHL player draft. But I I sort of hit on that. Off I don't I don't want to belabor a point, but I I'm sure it's hard to try to embrace it and be cool in the moment or think about you say something stupid and yeah maybe it goes somewhere. But yeah, I don't know. I just I'll never. I think this uh, this applies to essentially all walks of life. I feel like when you're trying to be very reserved and cool and it's not a natural thing, it ends up coming off as guarded and sort of lame. 
And that's the way I felt on Friday, or sorry, on Thursday, watching the NHL player draft is guys just, you know, engage in this, have a little fun with this. It's fine. Who cares? Who, Who cares? This is so stupid. It's a silly little thing. Like, that's why I liked Pasternak again, taking the shot after the game and saying something like, I, I like that about the Bruins. They seem to be this team and maybe it's because Marshawn was there. Maybe it's because they've had success, but they're one of the rare teams in hockey that just doesn't seem to be afraid of a, a quote. Hmm. Who knows? Anyway, um, I want to talk about the Raptors before we take a break because last night was fascinating. <laughs> so I don't know. I think they went into the game as like eight and a half, nine point underdogs. They're on the road against Oklahoma City. Raptors haven't played well as of late. They've had a ton of injuries, but here they are healthy. RJ Barrett's in the lineup, and you go, oh, nice. Let's let's see what they got. And the Raptors opened up extremely well. Mm -hmm. Built a 20-point lead against Oklahoma City. And probably the most encouraging part for me in that first half was they played awesome defense. Yeah. It was a Shea Gilgis Alexander. They were doubling him a lot. They were forcing the Thunder to try to, and the Thunder were moving the ball around the perimeter well. They were giving different guys touches, and the Raptors perimeter players were able to just kind of lock it down, force difficult shots. Thunder chucking up threes. Nothing's really falling for them. The Raptors just look aggressive. They're getting out in transition. They're finishing plays. They're sharing the basketball. Everybody feels really involved. And I went, damn, Raptors healthy. This looks good. And then the collapse happens. The collapse happens in the second half and the Thunder start to heat up from three. Super unfortunate because it looked like for a while the Raptors were going to be able to withstand it. That they they kept having a little bit of a counterpunch. But then it it started becoming Oklahoma City's game. They started to grab momentum, which again, isn't real. Can't wait. I have Blake in studio this this week after the (laughs) deadline. I can't wait for him to explain to me why the nerds say momentum isn't real when... We just all watch sports happen yeah, yeah. all the time. Yeah. Like it's just, Plus anyone who's played sports. Anyway. But it's just, yeah, the, 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 the watching the momentum shift in that game and the crowd would get behind the thunder and the Raptors start to get tighter. It was just very obvious. But the big story from that game, close out is get to the fourth quarter and get to double overtime. And Scotty Barnes just is not involved. It's a lot of Isaiah quickly. Mm-hmm. I went, so is this, is this his team now? Is does this IQ's team? Is he just sorry, Emmanuel quickly. Emmanuel, yeah. yeah, but is this is this his team? He's just uh, Scotty Barnes standing in the corner, not really doing anything, not taking any shots. Fourth quarter, Barnes took one shot. One. So in almost 20 minutes of play, uh he made one basket between the fourth quarter and the double overtimes. Like that's a no-show. At the very end of the first overtime period, he gets the ball. It's an isolation play. And they say, you attack. You make a decision. You go to the basket. You use that Scotty Barnes force that we've seen. And he just sort of dribbles at the top of the three-point line and then shovels it over to Gary Trent with, like, what, four or five seconds left? Less. And Gary Trent tries to create an off-balance shot that I don't even <laughs> think hit the side of the backboard. <laughs> like it, no, was, it got blocked, I think, yeah. Okay, yeah, it was just, it, it was not good it was really really not good and after the game Darko says that the play was called for Barnes that this was Barnes's play 
Barnes said after the game that it wasn't a fatigue issue and that he felt fine. And this is this is going to be the one I have one little kind of theory on it. It's one game. I'm not overreacting to this. But again, what we do is come in here and have conversations off of the games that just happened, mm-hmm. all right? So I've I've th- I've talked about this for a while. Armin, you and I especially have discussed this is hey, all of a sudden you've brought in like quickly who wants to prove himself as a lead guard on a team. You brought in RJ, who's absolutely a team player, high IQ player, but someone who needs the basketball needs to be attacking the basket over yeah, and over again. He's going to get his shots up. Yeah, to be effective. I don't think that we've done this before with like the Oak, or sorry, the, uh, the, the Brooklyn Nets team that fell apart of, hey, if you're going to have too many guys with a basketball, Chris there's Paul and Harden, there's only one basketball. And we've seen time and time again that having multiple players who can score is never, uh, it's not a bad thing. It's ultimately a good thing. But the Raptors are also not one of those teams in the sense of all those players have established themselves and have found who they already are as players, like Kevin Durant and Harden getting together or Harden getting together with CP3. Those guys already know who they are. They're already set in the NBA. And it's going to be a bit of a curiosity for Scotty Barnes, who was on a team where he couldn't just always be the alpha. Mm. We talked about this with Will Lou last week, a team that's trying to figure out what he does the best as an offensive force as you got to answer the question. Can he be the number one guy on a team? Yeah. Because that, that's still possible. Is it plausible? Is it like, let's put it this way. Is it likely? Probably not. It's tough. It's tough to be a number one guy on a championship winning team. It really is. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes we, we forget that, but if you're going to find it out, and you're going to work in two guys like that. And you're going to have your principle of ball movement, ball movement, ball movement. Yeah. How, are you going to lose reps of trying to find yeah. that stuff out from Scotty Barnes as he's to say, should you worry about it right now? I don't know. Is it the season already kind of lost? Are you looking forward to next year and a training camp and the new draft picks? I don't know. But last night was the first time where I went, man, um, we, Scotty Barnes and the coaching staff both have to make it a little bit more of an emphasis of, Hey, you're our best guy, yeah. and when things are going poorly, we're going to need you to be the one who silences that Oklahoma City crowd. And last night, that didn't happen. And it was, it was a tough look. It was, it was a tough growing moment for the, that young Raptors team. So, anyway. I'm kind of unsure what else Scotty needs, though, to realize this is his team. Like, not many 22-year-olds are going to have the opportunity to be like, the coach has come out and said it. The GM has come out and said it. So, go grab the moment. Again, like, the moment could right. be yours. It's one game. I hated him passing the ball there, though. Yeah. It wasn't like yeah, a double yeah. came. It wasn't like a double came. He just passed it over. He just dribbled and looked and went, nah. <laughs> I went, okay, you're bigger. You should be able to at least shoot it over top of him. You've got your feet set. You've been looking at the basket from that spot. Like, set it and shoot. Anyway, uh, all right, let's take a quick break. Baseball America has released its uh, farm system report, their talent rankings, and the Blue Jays dropped nine spots and now have a bottom six farm system, according to Baseball America. We'll discuss how they got there and how this ranking happened with Jeff Ponce, uh, prospect writer at Baseball America, next. I hate to say I told us so, Ricky, but I freaking told us so. Heading into this offseason, Tried to prepare people for this idea that the Blue Jays were not going to have a lot to move in deals. And when the Juan Soto trade happened, or ahead of the Juan Soto trade, I was like, I don't really see how this is going to operate. 
I saw different blogs and different people try to do the trade proposals. And it reminded me of when I used to be back on uh, fan trade boards from like websites where you join like the forums. Yeah, yeah. And you'd those try to. Those were the days, by the way. Those were the days. <laughs> and you would try to cook up a trade and you would put it out there and say, what does everybody think about my fake trade? And people go, very nice. Very You're nice. Talking about the yeah. real GM board. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just a touch. But the, I never found many of the Jays Juan Soto trade proposals to be based in any kind of reality. And it bothered me looking at what the Jays had because this is, I think this is actually the area where the front office has probably gotten the least amount of criticism. People love pointing to the Varsho trade and people love getting angry at this core and Vladdy and all these different things. But it's a group that talked about waves of talent and the, our first interaction with them was reportedly chastising the front office, but the, the old front office with Alex Anthopoulos about trading too many prospects away. And you got to trade prospects. Like you have to be able to, to maneuver you have to have flexibility, and, and the difficulty with the Toronto Blue Jays and where they're at is not that, hey, all of a sudden the Yankees are good again, and hey, Tampa Bay, and all this different stuff that is outside of your control. The, the issue is, is that they've sort of built a team that is very reliant on being able to sign free agents despite a history being a group that doesn't always accomplish that. They've done some good job. They've, they've done a good job recently in terms of the Springers and Gossman and being able to re-sign Barrios bring in Bassett for sure. But when people are getting pissed off about the Justin Turner thing and acknowledging that he's a good player, not a great player at the end of his career player, I think that the, the issue that we keep kind of missing here is that they are forced into these positions when they don't have anybody that's desirable to other teams to make moves. And so, yeah, yesterday or the day before, I'm scrolling through social media and I see, I'm sorry for this long-winded rant because I think he's been on the line the entire time. I'm seeing Baseball America has put out their new preseason farm uh, talent rankings and our next guest Jeff Ponce he's a prospect writer for Baseball America he's responsible for the Jays farm system breakdown and they dropped from 15 last year to 24 this year despite uh not a lot of moves <laughs> not a lot of players exiting uh Jeff Ponce joins us now what's up brother how we doing pretty good man how are you doing I'm doing all right uh sorry for making you wait there well uh, no sweat yeah. well, I'm happy, happy to sit here and while I did all the talking. Okay, so let, let's start with this because we all use your guys' rankings as gospel throughout the entire year, right? There's so many people that just go, well, did you see Baseball America? We used to joke when the Jays got the number one ranking that, that one year where it was like Bo and Vladdy and everybody coming up, that that was, uh, that mm -hmm. was a Super Bowl here. That was an extra World Series win, was being the top team chosen by Baseball America. So before we actually get into the Jays' ranking, um, how long does it take you guys to compile this list? How big are some of the debates? Just give us a little bit of the behind the scenes because, again, we're going to be using this for a long time, and I don't want to just hear that it's sloppily put together and people are like, yeah, who cares? Just put it in. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's really a year-round process. Um, you know, we have multiple um, writers like myself and, and editors that you know are full-time staff which is unique in this day and age, of course. Um, so I think that's a huge advantage. But um, for the handbook season, which are the, the rankings that come out in the off season, you know, we work toward uh, the handbook really all year. But I'd say the, the, the pressure period is October, November, and then we turn the book in the Friday or Thursday before Christmas and then sort of take off a week and a half or so, relax, 
and then get back into it. We start releasing the top 30s on the site and all the corresponding stuff. Um, but throughout that process, um, you know, I, I cover the Jays year-round. I, I would argue this is, you know, of my four teams that I write for the handbook and cover year-round. It's probably my favorite. Uh, I'm very close to New Hampshire, so I, I'm at New Hampshire games. It's kind of my home base. I see a lot of the prospects that I see in New Hampshire, so I'm, like, intimately familiar with the Blue Jays. I get down to Dunedin for about three years, uh, three weeks a year. So a lot of firsthand in-person scouting. I live right next to Worcester, so I see Buffalo as well. I saw all of the Jays affiliates this year outside of the Dominican Summer League team and Vancouver in person because I couldn't get out there when I was out in Seattle, unfortunately. Um, so a lot of it is in-person scouting. But through that in-person work, it's not really so much my opinion, but it's all the folks that I meet when I'm at games, scouts. Um, you know, analysts for teams, et cetera. And it's all the information that I'm getting from those folks and trying to give a reflection of, you know, what the industry thinks, not just what Jeff Ponce thinks, which is different, I think, than some of the other prospect rankings that are out there. I try to remove some of my personal bias, not that it's completely removed. And that's sort of rinsed and repeated for all of our internal ones. And then we have a handful of really talented correspondents that, you know, might be a beat writer for a given team that happen to also cover our top 30. So uh, it's an intricate process. And, you know, throughout that, we have meetings and scrums where we sort of go over the rankings, we go over the, the grades, we go over the tool grades for each prospect. And, you know, we really try to tighten up the list to make sure that it's a good reflection of what's out there. See, that's what I wanted to hear, that you guys are treating it this way, okay? That it's it's taken with this level of seriousness. And look at that, yeah, Baseball America continuing to thrive, even in the, the modern day of sports journalism where, yeah, places like even SI are just trying to trot out AI writers. Like, hey, how about this guy? How about this fake AI writer? Will you read him? Like, no, <laughs> no thank you. Uh, okay, so you're covering the Jays, you're doing all these things, you're balancing this out with people. How do you drop... Um, from 15 to 24 when you lose very few pieces from your farm system over the course of a year? doesn't seem too good. Yeah, I think um, some of that is, you know, sort of the how it – in season, a lot of stuff can change, and there are some grades in certain systems that probably don't get upgraded uh, or updated as quickly as they, they should. Um, just the process of covering 900 prospects, frankly. Um, so I think that, you know, when we get into the off season and we have time to sort of look at the whole picture, it's a lot easier to break things down. Now, that being said, the difference in point value between like 13 and 25 is pretty small. And I think where you see the true separation is the top of the board, those top five to six, seven teams, and then those bottom three to four teams that are clearly different from other systems. And I think the thing with the Blue Jays system, if you wanted to define it in terms of how this, what the system produces, there is a lack of top-end talent outside of Ricky Tiedemann. And then depending upon what your opinion is of Aurelius Martinez, I think you know he's a, pretty much a universal top 100 prospect. So he's in that group too. And then there's a lot of question marks. I think there's a lot of major leaguers throughout this top 30. And there's some guys at the back end of the list from the complex leagues, et cetera, that I do think could be players that could break out next year. They do a good job of developing uh, uh, pitchers recently. We did a, a stat cast ranking where we actually have access to minor league stat cast data, the full uh, amount of it. And we, you know, obviously do some work in the background, almost create a model. And I think the Blue Jays came out in like sixth overall. 
Um, and a lot of it has been, you know, the, the improvements in the pitching lab and some of those things. They haven't had any big stars yet. I think that could be coming down the line with a guy like Tiedemann. Um, but throughout the system, I think you saw an improvement in quality uh, in terms of pitchers. So it's just not a super exciting system. There's a, we put the scouting grade on it that goes in the 2080 scale. Where there's a lot of 45 type of players, which are um, sort of fringe regulars, uh, fourth outfield types, relievers, um, up and down starters, sort of that role, which mm-hmm. is valuable. It's depth, but it's not exciting. Yeah. Well, it's also difficult again for a team that is really, you know, in a World Series window that has not been able to supplement their core with talent uh, from their drafts, talent from their minor league system over the course of the last couple of years. Like, you know, you look at the roster from last season. And they didn't have anybody that was a first-round pick from them mm-hmm. under Atkins and Shapiro, right? They And, again, that's due to yeah. Manoa's down season, and maybe he bounces back this year and he finds his game, be a big boost for them. But, yeah, it's 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 been a pretty critical miss for this group. Again, one that came in here with a reputation of overvaluing prospects and – maybe being, uh, yeah, too invested in their farm systems. And so, yeah, they've made trades. Like, they acquired Barrios through trading prospects, Chapman through trading prospects, right? The, the most famous one recently is clearly Varsho with how it worked out with, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> them getting kind of killed on that trade in year one. Um, but where do you lay the majority of the blame for this ranking? Because a lot of teams make trade. Like, we just saw the Orioles trade for Corbin Burns, and it didn't affect them from dropping from number one. Um, we saw, and again, it required more major league talent from the Yankees, but I, I see here uh, your guys' rankings. You have, then this is maybe troubling for Blue Jays fans. You have Baltimore 1, Tampa 7, the Yankees 9, and the Red Sox 13. Like, the Yankees have made trades as well, and yet they still have a top 10 farm system. How, how have the Jays, yeah, how, where do you put the blame in terms of how this has been, all, how this has fallen all the way to 24? Sure. Yeah, and I think some of it is the type of players that the Blue Jays go after in the draft, particularly on the hitting side, the positional side. There's a lot of guys, like Josh Kasevich, for example, he's a good prospect, a solid player. He's probably a utility guy. You're not going after loud tools. I think there was a departure this year with a pick like Arjun Namala. There's tools there. There's upside there. You know, going after that upside ultimately is what paid dividends for the Orioles. Now, the Orioles picked at the top of the draft, but they've done well outside of the first round. Gunnar Henderson, where they took him, um, versus some of the other players that were taken around there that got more money, the great pick, um, developing a guy like Joey Ortiz. I think some of it is development, some of it is also with the Orioles being able to target traits. I think you look at uh, the Red Sox have drafted pretty high at the top of the draft. They spend money internationally. Um, the Yankees obviously spend a ton of money internationally. They also go after high upside players. A player like Spencer Jones, for example, um, though there's some questions about the hit tool, it's, it's a center field profile that's six 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 seven with potential 70 power on base skills and speed. And you don't really have a lot of those guys. You have a lot of like 5'10 to 6'0 middle infielders with hit tools. It's a lot like the guardian system. When you look at like the, what the guardians go after, it's very similar to going after these guys with baseline hit tools and not a lot of tools. And I, and I think they've had some misses 
going after guys like that. Tucker Toman right now, who now ranks 30th in our system when you consider his draft bonus and some of the pedigree there. But I think if you talk to people that were working around the draft at the time, Tolman was a guy that it was like, yeah, it's skills. He's a switch hitter. You know, he was famous at 15, um, but does he necessarily have the upside of player X, player Y, and player Z? And they haven't done a good job of going after player X, Y, and Z that have more tools, have more upside, and spending that money. It seems like a gamble, but I think at the end of the day, in baseball, there's nothing guaranteed with these prospects. It's just the one sport in the draft where guys aren't, getting picked in the first round and immediately walking into the starting lineup day one. That doesn't happen in baseball. you got to earn it. And they're not going after guys that I think can develop into above-average regulars, and that's really what you want. You know what, though? It's kind of interesting because you can tell me if I'm wrong in terms of interpreting some of this answer, but it seems like what you're saying is the Jays have had a propensity to not draft guys with as high of a ceiling as some of these other programs, and so they haven't hit on them. But the problem is, like we just discussed it, is – they, they haven't had anybody under Atkins that was on the playoff roster last year that was a first-round pick from their team. They've had guys, mm-hmm. you know, like Zoik and uh, Logan Warmouth, yep. right? And I know Pearson was a big miss. Yeah. He, was, he was like a, a big-time, hey, this is a huge prospect in terms of hit or miss. We all thought he was going to be, you know, a huge hit. But even some of the guys, like, they've traded away haven't turned out to burn them that they drafted, right? Like, that's actually been a positive for Blue Jays fans is, is like, you know, Austin Martin got traded and immediately fans were like, yeah, don't worry about it. He's not going to be a, a megastar. Jordan Groshans got traded. I have no idea what's going on with Jordan Groshans. Again, maybe I, maybe I should, whatever. But if you're not drafting, yeah, one? that's it. It's like if you're not drafting guys that have extremely high upside, the implication is that you're drafting a little bit safer and yet you're missing on those two. That seems like a problem. Yeah, and I think like over the years, they have done a good job of hitting in, on picks from rounds Six to 20 plus. You mm-hmm. see some of those guys that are even David Schneider was in the playoff roster last year. Um, it's, it's their inability to sort of identify the high end talent in the first five rounds because they're, they're doing fine in later rounds. They drafted a lot of relievers and good arms that have, I think are going to be, you know, 40 man roster type of players and could be potential additional trade ships in the bigger deal. But you don't have that big guy, as you said earlier in the show, to go get a Soto or Corbin Burns or somebody like that at this point. Yeah. Uh, that's why, I, again, I do love my fake trades that people push out there of like, here's 18 prospects you've never heard of for one Soto. And I'm like, hmm, <laughs> I wouldn't do that if I was them. But I guess maybe, I guess, because I haven't heard of these guys. Um, okay, so let's let's pivot this to two other things because I'm kind of kicking them in the teeth here a little bit. Is there a prospect in the organization right now? Again, you follow this team very closely that you said you try to keep your personal opinion out of it, right? Or not out of it, but you try not to involve it as much as maybe some other people do. But is there someone where you go, no, this is my guy. I believe that this dude will be something better than what he is projected as right now. Yeah, um, I think the easy answer would have been Elvis Martinez, but at this point, everybody's kind of caught up on that. Um, like I said, I saw a lot of him in New Hampshire the last two years, mm-hmm. and there was huge development in terms of his approach to the plate. There was a plan, the swing decisions, not chasing like he was, because um, he does have special uh, quality of contact. Uh, and, he's, and his bat-to-ball skills aren't bad, but the guy I'm going to throw out there is Alan Roden. Um Roden is a weird profile. It's it's a really 
interesting comparison to a player like Nolan Shaniel who we saw come up with the Angels last year. Only Alan Roden can actually play a corner outfield spot and do it maybe at an above average level. Kind of a weird body, but he's a sneaky athlete. It's a really funky uh, setup, very similar to Shaniel. The hands are really, really high, almost Craig Council-esque. Um, but there's great bats of ball skills there, like plus. Gets on base at maybe a plus-plus rate. I mean, really works and grinds pitchers down. It's a fairly level swing. He's a line drive hitter. But if he's able to elevate it all, there is some some raw power there, I think, that he can tap into. And potentially, you know, you could be talking about an, an everyday regular. It's like a 50. But I, I think he's better than people realize. And when you look at somebody that walks at the rate he does, makes the amount of contact he does, guys like that get to the big leagues. Um, Stephen Kwan has obviously been a productive major leaguer for a couple of years. They're different players. There's more upside maybe with Roden because he's a stronger guy than Kwan is. If he even gets to 15, 16 homers and he's capable of doing what I think he can do in terms of batting average and on-base percentage, he's kind of an exciting player. And Depending upon who you talk to in the game, he's pretty divisive because of what the swing is like. But model-driven teams, analytically-driven teams, are pretty into Roden. I will tell you this, though. That's the guy. Well, I asked Kylie McDaniel about this, and that was the guy he picked, too. So, oh, there you go. Yeah, so <laughs> prospect guys like Roden. All right. He's now, this is all Jays fans need. Is we've had basically two household names for quite some time now, and Tiedemann and Aralvis, those two. And then there was like a little bit of Addison Barger buzz last year. Uh, that's weirdly dissipated a little bit, despite the Jays having a hole at third base. Um, but yeah, Roden now I think is going to be entering at least that that more common Blue Jays fan lexicon based on yeah the assessment of you and others that that do this. It sounds like you're because the, my my gatherer on Arelvis has been people have also been very split on him in terms of boomer bust kind of bat. Last year was a good step forward for him again in your guys's rankings. Um, he's one of the only Jays players that, or prospects that actually seemingly took a, a step forward. But it sounded like, based on your breakdown, that you're a, a little bit more bullish on him. Do you see him as a guy that, yeah, kind of has to show something at the major league level this year, considering the Jays are pretty thin at the position that he plays? Hey, I'd love to see it. And, you know, we saw him in winter ball playing some second base. I think that's what the plan is. There's potential there. Mm-hmm. He's a better defender than David Schneider is. As much as I love David Schneider, I just don't think he has the chops defensively to play every day, particularly in the infield mm-hmm. and make those sort of plays. Um, that being said, you know, this guy has played shortstop pretty much his entire career. He's not a great shortstop, but he's capable of playing it. There's arm strength there. I think he can play multiple spots in the infield. And then, you look at how the Jays handled him. He should have gone back to Vancouver to begin 2022. Instead, they send him up to AA. New Hampshire in the Eastern League, in my personal opinion, having gone and watched all these different leagues, has been the most loaded league, the most difficult level of competition in the minors. When you talk about talent level, uh, run environment, and then you factor in the fact that the first two months of the season, up in New Hampshire, up in Portland, Maine, you know, it's Binghamton. It's like, you know, 30 degrees. I mean, if you're a Northeast guy or a guy in Canada that played baseball and you went out and played in the winter, you know what it's like to take a ball off your hands, right? Same thing happened this year. He was bad for the first two weeks. He clicked. Everything started to work. It was a different guy at the plate. 
And it was the same thing in AAA. He took some time to adjust, and then his numbers over the last, whatever, 40, 50 games in AAA were really good. The other thing is for a guy that gets billed for as much strikeout and swing and miss as this guy has, he's never had a 30% strikeout rate for a full season in the minor leagues, and he's always played at a young, at an older level than his age. I mean, he's still only 22 years old, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so does he have to come in the major leagues this year? No. Do I think he could? Yes. Uh, I certainly think he could struggle for a couple of weeks, or he could be one of these guys where he comes up, sets the world on fire, and hits 10 home runs in a month, and then struggles and hits 190 for <laughs> the next 45 games because he's trying to figure it out. I mean, he's, he's one of those guys. It's super, it's super power. There's a ton of talent. Watching the ball backspin off of his barrel is unique. There's not a lot of guys that can do that, that hit the ball as hard and as cleanly off the barrel as Orelvis does. A lot of it was just not swinging at everything. I mean, the thing that I saw in 2022, I didn't see in 2023, was just attacking the first pitch pitch strikes. Mm. He was always biting on every pitch in the zone every time. And most of the time he'd make contact with it. But the issue was he was just swinging too much. When they started to calm that down, he found a good happy medium. And I think he's a guy that can be an above average regular. He's going to have seasons where he hits 240, but you might get 25, 30 bombs. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's good, if, especially if he's playing second base. If, if he's playing second base for you and that's the guy you're getting, I think you're, you're pretty thrilled with that. And, and I, like, I, I don't want to make it seem like I'm trying to be, hey, they need him up here this year. And, but, yeah, you mentioned David Schneider, and that was, a, that was a nice story for the Jays last season. I hope it continues to be one this year. I think a lot of us are. But, yeah, the, it's very clear that the team is looking for a story. Um, especially, the fan base, too, is looking for a story of a guy with some upside that's going to come in around this group. A guy that you can believe in that there's a little bit more and that it's not a, a flash in the pan situation or, or not something where a guy's way ahead of his skis. And so I, I, I'm thinking anyways, when looking at this, that, yeah, a Revels Martinez probably from a position player standpoint, he, he pretty clearly um, represents the best chance at that. Okay. So before you go, um, non Blue Jays related question, you guys have Baltimore number one, and it's described as a gap between them and the field, even after the Corbin Burns trade. It's especially frustrating as a Blue Jays fan, because they were this, like, we were just that. We were your darlings, the Baseball America darlings. And there was money to be spent. And, oh, God, because of the pandemic, the Jays were going to be able to take advantage of this with free agency and blah, 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 go on down the line. And then all of a sudden, it's just like Baltimore stole our whole thing, bar for bar. Um, how, <laughs> how good is this Orioles system to you? Like, is this a... <laughs> I'm just hoping you say it's a little overstated uh, because yeah, having the Yankees and Red Sox and Tampa in your division and then, well, the Red Sox, who knows anymore, but to have a Baltimore team with new ownership and yeah, willing to spend money, but also this good of a farm system is, is a little terrifying. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because it was similar, right? There yeah. was this young talented core, um, the Blue Jays invested in it, too. I mean, they, they've tried to be a competitive team. I think that it's been thin margins. They obviously have to play in the beast that is the AL East. And, you know, none of these teams have come out and won the World Series in recent years. So <laughs> there's something to be said for that. But the thing with the Orioles is it's just the system is loaded at the top. There's a lot of good depth that could be coming up. They've really invested in the international market in a way that they never had over the 
previous whatever, 15 years under Duquette. I mean, they never spent international money. Now they are. They built a new complex down there. But I think it's, it's, it's the mechanism. Their player development is really, really good. And you have, you know, Elias and Sig, two guys there that if you take a look back and you talk to people, you know, that were around that Houston team and who helped build that core, it was those two guys. They're two of the best drafters and evaluators that are out there in the game. And I think it's just they operate on the margins so much better than everybody else does right now that it allows them to not only draft top talents in the beginning of the rounds, but also get guys in rounds three, four, five, six, seven, and beyond that are interesting players that they can develop. And they've spent a lot of money on the player development. That's really the secret sauce is if you have good coaches, you have guys that, you know, look at things and break things down in a variety of ways and don't just try to one size fits all. That's the difference between them and the Yankees who are very famous for trying to one size fits all. You see a Yankees affiliate, everybody's got the same swing pretty much. Mm. Uh, Jeff Ponce, uh, prospect writer for Baseball America. This was great today, man. We'll definitely have you back. Uh, that was a great breakdown. Good, uh, good luck moving forward on the, the season, and we'll, we'll speak to you soon. Absolutely, man. Thanks a lot. Cheers, buddy. Uh, Jeff Ponce. Okay, I, I'm going to just wrap this up. As a Cole's notes of what I'm trying to get from Jeff. Jays have very few guys at the very top, especially very few guys that are close. They have Tiedemann, who is pretty consensus in terms of MLB ready and has real upside. Aravis Martinez might be still a year away, but at least represents a lot of positivity for, as a top 100 prospect. Beyond that, you're talking about, you know, dudes who are way too, it's way too early because they're so young or guys that are not going to be massive needle movers, but are good depth pieces. The Jays, a team that was supposed to be predicated again on ways. I would, I would be judging them differently on this if, I, if this wasn't supposed to be their MO. If they were supposed to be a team that was building through free agency. If they were supposed to be a team that was just, hey, we're only spending money and uh, that's that. Or they had moved out all of their trade capital or all their prospect capital. If they were a team that really did push all in, all in for this core because they thought they were something special and you went, oh, okay. Now, it's a, it's a little overstated. It's a little overstated how much they have done in trades. They have moved significant pieces. There's no doubt about it. People never want to see a prospect go somewhere else and have it be like Gabriel Moreno, where it haunts you. But the fact of the matter is, out of all the guys that they've traded, Simeon Woods Richardson, Austin Martin, Jordan Groshans, none of these guys have come back to haunt them either, which does say a little something. You can say, okay, kudos to you for moving off of those guys, but also, huh, this is, this is your... Top tier guys that have not hit. And that's sort of what I got from reading Baseball America's write up here, but also getting to speak to Jeff is they've done a decent job developing some pitchers. And it looks a lot better again if Manoa can develop into being a Cy Young contender again. Sure, that's huge. That's massive for this team. We know how important that is for this team. But that's it is their top tier guys that they've used their highest picks on have been misses year over year over year over year. That's how Bill Belichick got fired, okay? I, I, again, I don't, baseball is different. Yeah, yeah, thank you. 
harder to evaluate? Yes, I get it. All I'm saying is for a group that was described as excellent at building farm systems, for the Jays to be here where they've only got a couple of years of control of Bobochet and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to have a farm system. And even when he goes, okay, the difference between 15 and 24 is not that big because that's the J spot. Well, okay. But the other four teams in the division are all ahead of you. And you could make the case that three of the teams in the division are better than you right now. So that represents a pretty difficult position to be in. So, yeah, I don't think it's all been trades around the core. I don't think that this has been business as usual as the way it's been portrayed at times. There's been a real failing here of nailing top-end guys in the draft, and it's really hurt the Toronto Blue Jays. It just doesn't get talked about as much because this is a sport where it takes a long time to develop first-round picks. And, yes, there is a larger miss rate of these kind of players. But, yeah, it really would be nice if the Jays this year could hit on Tiedemann, hit on Ravis Martinez, and have these guys supplement the group with a little bit of excitement and talent. Anyways, quick break, and let's hit what we missed. Sportsnet 590, the fan. So the Grammys were last night? Did you yeah. watch any? No. Yeah. No. God, God no. Uh, <laughs> I did see clips, though. And I got one big So Taylor Swift is now sports. Taylor Swift is everything. Yeah, Taylor Swift is sports. Thank you to all, every single one of the ladies that I follow on Instagram sharing that Taylor Swift has a new album coming out on their Instagram stories. It was very unique of you. And if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have known that that was going to be happening. Um, The monoculture now is just becoming insane. Uh, Yes, we get it. You're all the biggest Taylor Swift fan. Uh... It's a weird competition. I'm the biggest Swifty, okay? I liked her back to this point. Okay. Okay, I'm sorry. I got something to say, though. I don't care. Listen, I genuinely do not care how many times they to- show Taylor Swift at a football game. It does, it's no, no bother to me. It, it does nothing for me, like, in terms of anger. Uh, I've seen celebrities at sporting events my entire life. Watch the next game. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, she's clearly the runaway number one celebrity on the planet right now. And so when she's at a sporting event, she's dating one of the guys on the team who also happens to be the second most player on said football team. And they show her sitting in the, her suite. I, I don't care. Um, I don't care at all about the discourse of the people who get mad versus the people who don't, because I think it's silly to get mad that Taylor Swift is there. I think it's silly to get mad that they show her whatever, all of it. I don't really get it. Um, I think football fans and sports fans in general, there's just a weird section where if you do anything outside of sports when they're watching sports, right? It's like the same thing that Kaepernick or any type of politics that enters sports, they just lose their minds. They lose their marbles. So like, I'm here to not think about anything (laughs) other than sports. So if you dare... If you dare put even, like, I don't know how you guys get through the commercials, honestly. Yeah, like, I, I don't know how you're able to see one other thing. Anyway, um, I don't care. I'm, I'm saying, I'm on the record of being like, I think Taylor Swift is fine. I think that she doesn't bang her songs. I think she's wildly overrated. But that's just my opinion, musically. I think that there is a weird, I think that this is, again, this is how monoculture works, is that it's like the Stanley Cups. 
It's like something becomes big and popular and you have to love it and you have to be the most about it and you have to be the most defensive person about I get it, fine. But yeah, um, I feel like I've seen better pop stars in my life than Taylor Swift. No offense to her, but again, music is subjective, as Jay-Z said yesterday at the Grammys, which you saw, so it's to, to each their own. But I also understand, I think she's talented, I get the whole show thing. Um, but yeah, the, the degree in which she is beloved has not made sense to me. I've asked millions of, well, I've asked, not millions, uh, I've, asked a, I've asked a few Swifties about it. A few, a few. Um, that are like the hardcores and they're super invested. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm invested in sports, so I, I don't judge it. Like, I don't, I don't judge it in terms of, oh, you love something. I, I love stupid stuff too. I care about the Toronto Maple Leafs winning hockey. <laughs> they just under mm-hmm. the 19th. They haven't won since there was six teams. And, and they don't show a lot of signs of changing that now. <laughs> but here's what I will say. I love Celine Dion. Ooh. Okay? I love Celine Dion. I straight up had a Celine Dion tape. When I'd be back in the van as a little kid, it's to crush a couple Canadian artists, all right? Our Lady Peace. Ooh, nice. OLP. Jaggy Little Pill. Sure. Alanis. Yeah. And I had a Celine Dion tape. Absolutely. Talking before my heart will go on. I didn't have you pegged as like a ballad guy. Buddy, I love a ballad. Sure. Okay? And I love Celine. And I saw that clip of Taylor Swift just dismissing Celine Dion. If you are any type of Celine Dion fan and you know what she has been through, and for her to make that public appearance, then for Taylor Swift to go up there and snub our girl Celine, all I gotta say is, <laughs> I know what kind of, is on JD's if, face if right you're, now. By the if way. you're gonna defend the actions of Taylor and be like, why are you breaking down to the microphone? Because it's an award show. Whoever does that, whoever doesn't go up and pay homage to the greats, that's a that's a. It's a bold maneuver. And so I don't really care what Taylor Swift's camp has to say post ipso facto. Ipso facto, they did share a picture backstage. Yeah, uh, ipso yeah, facto. No kidding. Love. Ipso yeah. facto. Guess what? Guess what? No, no, of course, because they knew. Oh, they yeah. Blew it. They knew they made a mistake. And this is the thing that happens when you get a little overexposed and you start to think your farts don't smell is you make mistakes. And do I forgive her? No. <laughs> and Taylor, bar- Taylor I, barely makes any public mistakes. I'm just saying. Like, that's what really I mean. That, that's what so. I'm saying. But that is the actual first time that Taylor Swift has done something that has bothered me. Where I was like, are you kidding? That's the clip? Because I saw a little bit. Of, I'm buzzing around Twitter. And I looked at it and I went, no, that was greasy what you did. You should have. You sh- that, was, that was a shared moment for you two. You two greats. So anyway, all I got to say is. To the Swifties that are listening to the show, I'm sure there are so many. Yeah. Especially, I this think the part Venn of the diagram pod. of Swifties yeah. and listeners to this show is N- yeah. numerous. <laughs> <laughs> That's this is the never nudes and arrested. There are dozens, dozens of us. Dozens. I'd be I'd be thrilled if there were dozens of you. And I'm 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 welcome to open up the discourse. Actually, one of the Swifties that I asked about this was Sarah Jenkins because I, I wanted to get more intel on the Taylor Swift phenomenon in terms of just, you know, because people are like, oh, the Super Bowl ratings, are they really going to change that much? And I went, are they honestly, like, are there people that wouldn't have watched the Super Bowl? And yes, it's apparently like, mm-hmm. yes, there's a big thing about like what she wears. People are like, I want to see the jeans and the sweatshirt that she wears every time. Of course. To the Chiefs game. We want to see that. And I was like, I get it. <laughs> Prop bet number one. <laughs> Prop bet number one. Uh, no, I got, actually, I am going to do daily props on my on my socials um, leading up to the Super Bowl. I've already got a list of, I, I've already been doing the homework and I'm trying to set some of these in now so that I don't change and overreact to things and panic. 
why I bought the Chiefs at plus 115. The second the Super Bowl was announced, I was like, yep, I'm getting that number. It's been a good number. It stayed as a good number. Anyways, I just Swifties. Oh, I need the Chiefs. I to think lose. it's. I think it's. No, no why? Because the because the memes off the album, and no. if they lose, no, I think no, they're no, gonna no, hit like no, really no, good. No, 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 that's insane. That's an insane take. <laughs> you, this is I know, but here's the, this is one of the problems. Is Armin doesn't know anything about football. He doesn't watch football. He's just like a complete non-entity with football. So he's just like <laughs> doesn't know how evil San Francisco 49ers are. How diabolical and awful their fan base is. How quiet they were in that stadium too. Fraud. They're such a fraud fan base. It drives me crazy. <laughs> They're such a fraud fan base. They, it's like the Cowboys get all the heat for being the worst fans. And it's like the Niners fans are right there. They're right in front of you. Ah, please don't let the Niners win. Please, God, please. Please, God. I'm begging you. I guess you're picking between two evils with the Super Bowl. This it year. is. It really is between two it's evils. It's a tough one. I got to say something too. I, uh, by the way, to wrap up Chiefs talk, I would normally never do this. Because I think that speaking about other people's families is kind of gauche. But in this case, I, I think, what is it? His third DUI for oh. Patrick Mahomes' dad? Mm-hmm. Which, but the week of the Super Bowl, that's awful to do. To, you know, you kid. And again, it's well documented on this program that, like, a dad who drank, uh, who also was hit with multiple DUIs. So I feel I could relate to this. Patrick Mahomes doesn't get enough credit for the fact that he's got a brother who stinks. Mm-hmm. I like his wife more than other people because I think she's just a ride or die. And I, yeah, some I'm people like, do not though. No, they don't. They don't like her. But I, who among us wouldn't want a girl that is like that passionate about sure. a partner, a guy or girl that's just like stands on the roots. It doesn't care at all what the world thinks about them. And it just is willing to stand for you that hard. I think it's great. Yeah. But I've seen also some of the, like I saw in the quarterback documentary, she just seems like a bit of a handful of a lady. Let's just seems say like a like, lot. Yeah. She's seems not like a lot. I don't think she's low maintenance. Let's just say. And then <laughs> his dad being like this and having this going on. It's like Patrick Mahomes doesn't get enough credit. That's I gotta say is this dude for him to be as balanced and level and cool and yeah whatever it's just he uh, d- dominant as he is it's like to overcome all the people that are in his direct in orbit his, yeah, immediate that family. are just just, re- just requiring a lot of attention <laughs> at you gotta say it's a, it's pretty impressive it's pretty impressive yeah uh okay so what do we miss uh s- Joel Embiid He's hurt. He oh, needs yeah. uh, knee surgery. Yeah, uh, they didn't really say like how long he's going to be out for, but you got to think it's going to be at least a couple weeks. Uh, this also brought up a whole bunch of discourse about the whole mm-hmm. needing to play 65 games for being award eligible and all that. Mm-hmm. He had already missed 13 before getting hurt. People were wondering if he was playing hurt so he could still win an MVP. Like, what, What's your thoughts on the whole 65 game discourse and... So one is that Shams has like recently reported that the Sixers are hoping that he only misses one to two months. Uh, and that he, okay, no, it's this is a significant injury. Okay, yeah. like this I was reading a lot about yeah. it. Like at the, the, it's a specifically weird thing that they had to repair. It's not like a normal M- MCL or meniscus yeah. thing. It's like so, a weird surgery. Um. They don't know if it's going to be a full repair that is needed on the knee. And if it is, then it's going to take significantly longer than that, which is pretty scary if you're a Sixers fan. Uh, They're 4-10 and without Embiid this year. So the obvious take here is simply sucks to lose Joel Embiid when he's having this kind of a season. Mm -hmm. Duh. The crazy take is to be like, 
They forced him to play basketball, and so he got hurt. Joel Embiid's always been injury prone. Yeah. This has always been the scary part with Joel Embiid. The 65-game discourse is nuts. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's nuts. insane. Okay, that's 80% of the season, you guys. Gen Z, for the love of God. You, you got to play. No, shut up for a days? second. Yeah, that's uh, one second from you because <laughs> this I is you. On me. Because you're the person who got all upset with Tyrese Halliburton. And you're like, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. And I've seen so many people do this stuff. Do I think that there's a conversation that could be had when it comes to tying bonuses to first all, you know, NBA first teams? And yeah, those? yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Like, there's something to be had about that. But when it comes to being the MVP of the regular season, the idea that Asking guys to play 65 freaking games, 80% of the season. You're right. Four or five days at work <laughs> for us normies is some kind of just archaic, awful, backwards rule that is causing consternation over player health is ludicrous. Stop this, people, please, for the love of God. You have to play the games. Play the games. You have to play the games. So I'm going to see the raps. Against the Spurs next week, next Monday, a week from now, I'm going to see Wemby. Mm. Do you know what it'd be like for me if I bought these expensive ass tickets? Because there's a Wemby price to these things, right? Like when I go pay for these tickets, it's a crappy Spurs team, but I'm paying because Wemby is there and I want to see him in the flesh and I want to see him in his rookie season. And I want to go, I want to see the next big. It's crazy. Apparently his numbers, like his blocks and steals numbers are almost the exact same as Rudy Gobert in his last depoy year. Oh yeah. Already? They're already better. He has yeah. more steals and more blocks than. Yeah. It's yeah. just insane. Anyway, I, I feel as though Wemby's season is just totally going under the radar, uh, which is shocking. Anyway, I'm paying to go see Wemby. If they sit Wemby that night, I mean, devastated. Mm -hmm. it, why would I be there to see Devin Vassell? Oh, come on. And the Raptors catching strays, Devin Vassell and Quickly dribble the ball for three hours? <laughs> no. I want to see Wemby. You go pay these ticket prices to go see stars in the NBA. You built a reality where it's all about the stars. Fine. We like the stars. You know, we like them. But then you got to play. And having all the rest nights was a problem. It did. It got to a place where it was like nuts with the stars sitting. Kawhi, sorry. Thank you for the championship. But it got crazy oh, yeah. got crazy how much you were sitting man and how often your team like wasn't just playing games so you got to play 80 80 percent of the games is not too much i'm glad i saw it was joe dumars said that there's no discussion right now about changing this rule and changing the 80 percent. but yeah tyrese halliburton got to stop with this because he is like the face of this i'm like he's the face of this to me right now more than Embiid is lebron did his classic thing of weighing in and defending another player because he's just hoping somewhere He's already plotting his next landing spot, and he's already trying to suck up to Embiid and hope that he can get with him. But <laughs> either way, uh, yeah, I, 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 we got to stop with this. We got to stop with this whole change. You have to play the games. Yeah, play the games. You have Please, to play the games. NBA players, play the games. I love it. Just like we didn't, we got through half of a season before it became a total meltdown of like, what have we done? Making these guys play basketball games, they yep. could get hurt. Yep. Like, they should play games. no games. <laughs> <laughs> we should just play 2K. Yeah. Nobody can get Sim a season turn, on 2K. Turn the injuries off on 2K <laughs> and everybody play that. And that's what we'll get instead. You can watch whatever the, the teams are, the, the, the EA, the, the eSports league, not EA sports league. I was like, how do I get this wrong? Gamer JD. Yeah, we can all just watch eSports. Uh, and that's it. Anyways, you good with this? You good with the... <laughs> Armin, you're the youth representative of the show. Yeah, no, I mostly agree with you guys. Mostly, yeah. someone, someone brought up to me that <laughs> Allen Iverson averaged 41 minutes a game in his career. Obviously, his career was, like, short, so mm -hmm. that... But, like, he got 
sent to the ground five times a game and he trucked through. And I appreciate all of that. My, I'm just a little torn on like the 65. Okay. If he plays 64, like he's, he's not worth yeah. it. Or I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. yeah you I, have I to draw a line in the sand. I agree with you. I mostly agree with you. Otherwise it's going to change and it's just going to end up being that where you go, okay, well, if it's not, if it's, if there's no number, right. Then it's like, well, is 62 enough. Miss 20 games of a regular season, you can be MVP. I like, think leave on, it up man. to the voters, yeah. No. If it's, leave it up to the voters. If this they the feel same... like they didn't No, they the didn't voters are scared. The, so many of the voters vote just with the way that they, they want to be with social media. Just like tw- Taylor Swift fans, right? Like, I don't believe you listen to this every single day. If you are, it's crazy. It's just <laughs> like you're doing it because social media is pressuring you. I get it. We've also been having this debate, like, specifically about Embiid forever. Because remember his rookie year? It was like, oh, should he win rookie of the year? He played 31 games in his rookie. And granted, it was a terrible rookie year. But everybody was like, should he win rookie of the year? He played 31 games. He's only He would have been the first overall pick had he not had the injuries. 100%. And that's just kind of the thing. Like, the most games he's played, I'm looking at his reference page right now. Most games he's played in a season is 68. And, like, that's the thing about Embiid. But at a certain point, you just have to play the games. Mm Mm-hmm. That's why that's why we do this whole thing. It's because yeah, of the games. You I, have to play them. But you know what it is? A lot uh, this is the thing. A lot of the discourse I think that happens now is with people who don't watch the games. I feel like it's a lot of people who just watch highlights and they or go the clip, they, they watch a clip and, and then they're and, weighing in yeah. on the sport because they don't really care because they're not really involved in it. And this is honestly the problem with most of these things. Like I feel like a lot of corporations, a lot of companies, a lot of places listen to the loud voices on social media knowing that they're actually not even the ones that care or pay attention. That's why they're the ones that'll use. You know, it's just they're they're just the ones weighing in because this is what they want to do. Anyways, what's next? Uh, I mean, we had talked about LeBron. Do you want to talk about LeBron? Oh yeah, well, I need he's Armin on LeBron because yeah, <laughs> here here's the thing: is he's LeBron stan. He's always like he's the goat. He's, he's the goat. taking miles mileage off my life, yeah. <laughs> LeBron, because he is the most respected player in the game. What's with the cryptic message? I don't get I it. Mean, well, Who's again, you're brand, new. You're, you're brand new. You're the, brand new. No, you're so brand new. It's just like LeBron. Go up to your team. Go up to your team and yeah. say how you feel. Go to He's, the management, say how you feel. He does. Give Jeannie Buss a call and tell him how you feel. What's with the, like, reading between the lines? Like, oh, yeah. try to figure out what I'm saying. You know why? That stuff is so annoying to yeah. me. I don't <laughs> get it. You're the most respected athlete in the world. Yeah. Here's a couple reasons why. One, people say they want to be told something direct until you do, and then they, they, they mostly can't handle it. And I think that this is, in general, like, a, a tough thing about – becoming more of an online society is you have less human interactions with people, more online interactions with people, less ability for them to understand, like you're actually trying to help not hurt. There's a difference between being, you know, a jerk and being direct, you know, direct, like, you know, some people conflate the two. I've conflated the two, but I really genuinely believe that it's more and more difficult to tell people like what you need from them and that great leaders have a way of doing it. And I don't think that that's a part of LeBron's repertoire. I think that he's always been a passive aggressive guy. And, like, that's the way he deals with it. He wants to be liked by everyone. He wants to be loved by everyone. He doesn't want people to come out and have MJ stories about LeBron at the end of his career. He doesn't. He doesn't want dudes to be coming out, like, like with Kobe and LeBron. He wants to be the guy that did it differently from that leadership standpoint. Like, of the room accountability and, like, really calling guys out. He likes having the clips of, ooh, he almost called somebody out. It's like, nah, nah, did he? He could have. He's got his spots to do it. He has, do you got to fit in or fit out. He doesn't deal with it direct. It's part of his thing. He wants to be liked by everyone and so this is sort of the drawback. And yet, it, you're right. I think it hurts him. He should be the guy that can go to people and say this stuff. But yeah, the hourglass thing and then him going, I'm not going to comment on that. It's just like, it's, yeah. Future Nick, LeBron James. Yeah, and then that too. No problem. Go there, buddy. When's the last time <laughs> oh, they won wow, a championship? He's out. When's the last time <laughs> they won a championship? Yeah, yeah I mean, this is the Lakers. This ain't yeah. the Cavaliers. I mean, you guys, your bubble championship doesn't count. Anyways, we'll see you tomorrow.